Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church featuring Pastor Glenn Smith. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, Pastor Glenn. This is my who? This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now notice, notice these three things that God gave his son. I remember Larry, Locks, Larry, Larry Stockstill, Larry Lockstill, Larry Stockstill mentioning this at one of our conferences that we were at, um, and it, it, it really struck a chord in my heart. But these are three things that God gave his son. First of all, he gave him identity, validity, and affirmation. These are not in your notes, just so you know. There's a lot of stuff that you'll find today that's not in your notes, didn't have room. Um, so you may want to write those three things down. He gave his son validity, identity, validity, and affirmation. Where is that? Okay, let me show you. First of all, he said, this is my son. This is my son. That speaks of his identity. Okay? This is my son speaks of his identity. Number two, in whom I love, that's validity. And then number three, with whom I am well pleased, that's affirmation. And I believe every parent, listen to me now, every parent needs to give their child or children these three things as well. That we would give our kids the sense of identity, the sense of validity, and the sense of affirmation. And might I even say for you dads, especially from you dads, moms seem to do that better than guys, better than dads. And for you dads, I would encourage you to make sure that you deposit these three things in your kids, especially your sons. I went through my whole life without having these three things. I, of course, I was raised by a single parent, my mom. Um, she later married when I was a teenager, and, uh, and he wasn't uh, the most affectionate guy, um, pretty stern and, 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 you know, a disciplinary and you know, somewhat abusive and, and harsh in his communication style. And so I never got that sense of identity. So this, I'm yours. You're my son. This is my son. And he's mine. I never had that. I had a father wound growing up and, and even carried that into my adult life until I realized it. And uh, I, I missed that. There was something missing inside of me until I allowed the Father God to fill that in my heart. And, and give me that sense of fulfillment and peace and that identity that I belong to him and he was proud of me. See? And, uh, and then, then, you know, this whole validity thing, whom I love, my love. I, I never had a, a father figure tell me he loved me. And I carried that wound around as well. And then the sense that, that they were proud of me or they were pleased with me or he was pleased with me in whom I am well pleased. I never had that. And I'll never forget after um, my father, my, my biological father, came to Christ, um, when, you know, I used to say, I love you all the time. I love you, I love you, I love you. And he would never say a word. And then, and then one day, he said it. You know, he said, I love you too, son. And I'm proud of you. And, you know, not that I had to have that to be complete, because God had already given me that. But there was just something powerful about that. So listen to me, dads. Listen to me. 
If, if, first of all, if you're carrying around that father wound, you need to reconcile that. You may never hear that from your earthly father, but you can hear that from your heavenly father. Second, if you've not deposited these three things, that sense of identity, validity, and affirmation in your kids or your son, you need to make sure you go and do it. Amen? You need to make sure that you deposit those three things I mean, this all happened at the very beginning when Jesus is just starting to, to enter into his ministry here on this earth. He gets baptized, and out of that baptism, so many things happen. You could preach on this for, for weeks because of the, 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 the meaning behind it and the depth of understanding and the emotional stability that comes as a result of the way God does things, especially to his son here. Have you been baptized? Let me ask you that question. Have you been baptized? Have you, have you ever experienced water baptism? Well, well, Jesus did, and maybe you need to follow in his footsteps as well. Some of you may say, oh, I don't need that. I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven, and I don't. Listen, you need to follow the footsteps of Christ. Amen? And, and next time we have opportunity for you to be water baptized, then you need to be water baptized. Why? Because Jesus said to do it, then he did it, right? And it's in the scriptures, and I just want to encourage you. And so after, after Jesus' baptism, we see that he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert, um, to fast for 40 days and 40 nights, and there he was tempted by the devil. Let's pick up the narrative here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. How many of you think you'd be hungry after that? So he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, if you have your notes um, or your Bible or whatever, your tablet or your smartphone, um, underline or highlight that word said. That's a good thing to do. Um, I'll come back. We'll talk about that later. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, then tell these stones here that were lying around to be turned into bread. In other words, he was hungry, right? Or he, some people say he was hungry. Okay? He was hungry. Jesus said, answered him and said, it is, come on, help me now. What? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, please camp here for just a minute when you read this section of Scripture because there are so many life lessons to be learned about how Jesus dealt with the enemy, and we'll talk more about that later. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, and he said this. He said, if, notice, if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now notice, a little different here. For it is written. He'll give his angels, command his angels concerning you, and they'll lift you up in their hands so that you'll not even strike your foot against the stone. Now notice, first of all, he comes and uh, tells Jesus something, and uh, he says it's written. He brings the word into play. Second, he comes and he twists. Everyone say twist. He twists the word to suit the tempting that he's giving to Jesus. And Jesus answered him once again, and he said what? He said what? It is what? Also written. 
Do not put the, put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will simply bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, underline that, away from me in your scriptures or your notes, away from me, Satan, for it is what? Come on. It is what? It's written, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil said, see you later, alligator. He said, uh, said, the Bible says that he left him and the angels came and attended him. Now, there's three, three areas of text that I want to highlight here. First of all, the enemy said. The enemy said. Notice, notice this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he's out in the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And the enemy shows up and starts to try and tempt him to do something that is against God's will. And he comes to him and he said, how many of you know the devil talks? <laughs> he said, uh, question, what, what is the enemy saying to you today? What is he saying to you? You know, he comes peddling his stuff. You know, he, he wants you to, you know, feel condemned. He wants you to feel less than. He wants you, you know, to feel beat up. He wants you to feel better than you should. All that. He want, he, he'll, he's, he's doing his best to twist the word. He's doing his best to get you to compromise what God has said and what God has called you to do and how to live in this world. And the enemy said, what is he saying to you today is my question. What kind of lies is he peddling to you? What kind of things is he doing to condemn you or to make you feel less than or, or, or perhaps that you're not even. I've had people, you know, say that to me. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I, and I, I prayed and I've sought the Lord and I've turned my life over. But so, I do things sometimes. And, and I, am I even saved? Am I even going to heaven? Well, that's the way the enemy wants you to feel. He'll say. And you call yourself a Christian. Anyone ever heard those words before? Or just me? Anyone, come on, let me see your hands if you've heard the enemy say that to you. And you call yourself a Christian. Yeah. What is he saying to you? What is he saying to you? Uh, you can't stop him from saying things to you or giving you thoughts. But you can certainly do something about it. Did you hear me? And this is, and this is a great example. Church, Listen. This is a great example of what to do with the enemy. The tempter came and said, the enemy said, what did, what did Jesus say? How did he respond? He said, it is written. Amen? In other words, he spoke, everyone say speak. He spoke the word of God out of his mouth. The Bible says that this, this word is a two-edged sword. Amen? It's a two-edged sword. It's, it's an offensive piece of equipment. 
So Jesus said, it is written. Jesus spoke the word. Here's the question. Do you know the word to speak? That's why we encourage you and challenge you as a church. Learn the word. Meditate on the word. Study the word. You know, do everything you can. Get in the Bible. Read. That's why we've been going through the Bible this whole year. So that each one of us can learn what the Bible says. You can't speak the word. You can't say it is written if you don't know what's written. And the enemy has a field day with you. And then we blame it on God. God, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do that? And why? Listen, he's saying, Let, cooperate with me here. Work with me, people. Work with me. <laughs> you know? So Jesus spoke the word. Every single Christian needs to arm themselves. Everyone say arm themselves. Arm, think about it. Battle ready. Arm themselves with the word of God. Learn, learn to say it is written. It is written. It is written. Vicki and, Vic and I had a flood recently in our house and lost a significant amount of, of money in terms of loss in furniture and, uh, and damage to our, our house. And we begin to speak to that situation that, you know, it is written that the Bible says if we would be tithers and generous, right, that the, Bible, the windows of heaven would open up and pour out a blessing that we wouldn't have room enough to contain. And I believe with all my heart that, that those resources that we need to put things back together and cover the damage are coming in in Jesus' name. See, knowing our identity doesn't mean we'll never have things go wrong, but it certainly means that we can overcome those things. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In other words, when trouble comes in the front door, God doesn't run out the back door. Amen? Jesus said, it is written. You see, you need to know the word and know your, know your position, not just your condition. See, our position is different than our condition. Amen? The Bible says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Our, our, our circumstances or our condition may say otherwise. <laughs> You in big trouble, dude. <laughs> you know, uh, but our our positions, we are in Christ. I'm a child of the living God, <laughs> and I can stand on that. I can stand on the Word, and know that that you know I have a I, I have benefits as a result of being a child of God, and I can I can. I can actually stand on that and enjoy the benefits and trust God to overcome the obstacles that come my way. Number three, the third thing, just the third thing here in this text is just, so he says, you know, he said, that's, that's words you need to deal with and what, what is the enemy saying. Second, Jesus responded with it as written, and then he said, away from me. Jesus said, away from me. In other words, he took authority over the devil. Why in the world do we put up with the enemy and let him get away with what he gets away with in our life? Why in the world don't we take authority over the name or in the name of Jesus over the enemy? He said, away from me. Away from me. And we can have that same thing because Jesus gave us authority. Did you hear me? He gave us authority 
over all the works of the enemy. And if we would just take our rightful place in Christ and take authority over the enemy, we would see a whole lot less stuff happening. And when it does, we'd be able to overcome it a whole lot better. Did you hear me? Ephesians 6, 17 and 18, out of the Message Bible, it says this. It says, God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in, in this ongoing warfare. Notice, we're in a war. <laughs> Do you even know your weapons? Do we even know our weapons? The scriptures are full of weapons. See, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen? We need to learn our weapons so that we can fight this battle called spiritual warfare in our lives. So this Ephesians passage in the message says, God's word is indispensable. It's a weapon. The same way prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Notice the terminology here. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Man, to see a need is a call to prayer. You've got brothers and sisters in this room. You've got brothers and sisters outside of this room. Not just your flesh and blood brothers and sisters, but brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you see them going through something, pray for them. And don't just say, I'll, pray. I'll be praying for you. Never do. Pray for them. Why? Because it's powerful and effective, according to James. And then in 1 John 4, 4, I love this verse, God's Spirit, God's Spirit who is in you is greater than the devil in the world. Can somebody say amen? He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. The Christ that is in you, listen, the greater one dwells inside of you. And you can tap into that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, every single one of us need to understand that Satan is not a myth. Some people write him off and say, oh, he's just, you know, he's just made up. He, uh, he's just made up. He's not, he, he's not real. Yeah, right. Satan is not a myth. He's very real. And he wants to do his best to divide us from two things. He wants to do his best to divide us from God, and he wants to do his best to divide us from each other. Did you hear me? Very real. And he wants, he wants you to believe that he doesn't exist. <laughs> he loves it when people buy into the lie that, ah, he's just made up. He's, he's just a fictionary character. He doesn't really exist. Now, he really does exist, and he really does deal with your lives on an everyday basis. And the, the more you understand that and the more you're aware of that, the better off you'll be in understanding how to fight. Now, let, let's, let's look at your names in your outline there, the names used in Scripture for the enemy, for the devil. And these are, these, I have the verses there so you can look them up and see, not that you want to dwell on him, but you need to know your adversary. So, first of all, one word that is used for the devil is serpent. Serpent. The next one is tempter. We saw that in Matthew 4. We read that. Another one is the enemy. 
found in Matthew 13. Another one is the evil one, Matthew 13. Again, the prince of demons in Mark 3. The father of lies, John 8. Murderer, John 8, 44. The roaring lion, lion how many remember that in 1 Peter? The enemy goes about as what? A roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Um, another one is the word deceiver is used for the, for the devil. Deceiver in Revelation. And dragon is another one. Dragon is found also in Revelation chapter 12. And last but not least is the word thief. Now there's more. Um, but those are just some of the names when you're reading through your scripture, when those words come across, it's talking about the same. It's talking about the devil, okay? It's talking about the same Satan that went to Jesus in the wilderness, all right? And so, so the things we learn from the life of Christ, and how many do you think we ought to learn some things from the life of Christ? Then we can apply that to where we are today. I mean, Jesus was born... And, you know, started his, was baptized somewhere around uh, 26 AD, and then we see the birth of the church, and all the way up to where it says us, U-S, us, right there. Nothing's changed, right? The birth of the church and so on and so forth, um, nothing's changed, and so we still have power of attorney to use the name of Jesus, because how many of you know Jesus overcame the enemy? So... Who is this devil? Who, who is it? Where did he come from? Satan, Satan was the uh, highest of all angels, um, and he wasn't really happy. He wasn't a happy camper, so to speak. He, you know, he desired to be God and to rule the universe, and God said enough is enough and cast Satan out of heaven and made him a fallen angel, okay? He became a fallen angel. He fell because of one word, and that word is pride. Everyone say pride. He, came, he fell because of pride that originated from his desire to be like God instead of a servant of God. Look at this verse in Isaiah, verse chapter 14. It'll show you what I'm talking about. Speaking of Lucifer or the enemy or the devil, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphron. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Not a good idea. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And then Ezekiel tells us a little bit about God's response in chapter 28. He says, your heart, everyone say my heart. Listen. Guard your heart, keep it clean, like we talked about a few weeks ago. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. In other words, God, God created him into something of beauty. And you can use what God has given you several different ways. We know Esther used hers for God's glory, eh? amen? And we know Ruth did the same thing. It goes on and says, your heart became proud of account of your beauty and your you, you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before the kings. Listen, Satan was one of God's greatest angels, and he got so pride and arrogant, God had to disconnect. God had to pull his lifeline from him, and he became a fallen angel. And he tried to take a bunch with him, and he's trying to still take a bunch with him. Amen? 
The choice is ours. Now, in 1 John chapter 3, it says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest. To what? To destroy the works of the enemy. God appeared, um, for this reason was the Son of, God, Son of God appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. And then in 2 Corinthians 2, it says, We shouldn't be ignorant of the devil's devices. We're not ignorant of his devices. In other words, we need to be aware of the things that the enemy wants to do to us and the way he wants to, to use things and twist things to get us off of our game. Now, let's look at four things I think every believer ought to know about the adversary. First of all, first of all, Satan will attack our weak spot first. Satan will find, it's like with Jesus. He came to Jesus when? When he was hungry, after he had been fasting for 40 days. How many of you know he was weak at that point, physically weak from not eating? So Satan will attack our weak spots first. Check this out, Matthew 4.2. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Always remember, the enemy wants to come to us and find our weaknesses. So be aware of that. I know certain things in my life um, are triggers. Everyone say triggers. Are triggers for the enemy. There's certain things in my life when, when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, I'm hungry, <laughs> you know, when I'm tired, when I'm lonely. All that stuff, these are trigger points for me, you know, for the enemy to come and to try and get me off my game, to try and get me to buy the lie. And so realize that about your life. What are your trigger points? What are, what are the areas where, where you're weak in from time to time? And then be aware that the enemy, chances are, he's going to find that weakness and try to expose it and try to get you to, to compromise what God said for a lie. And so if you're aware of that, you know, you can just know going into a, a, a time of weakness or temptation or, you know, a tiredness and be ready for it. When he comes, say, it is, come on, it is written. Don't just go, oh, yeah, you're right, that's true, and, 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 and agree with them. Second, Satan will raise a question about your identity. Four things you need to know. He'll raise a question about your identity. That's what he said. He said, if you're the son of God, that's what I was said, saying a little while ago, I, and you call yourself a Christian. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll raise a question about your identity and question whether or not you're even saved or, or filled with the Holy Spirit or in love with Jesus or or, or an example, and, and before you know it, it's just on and on and on. He'll just, he'll just question everything about you, and you'll find yourself questioning yourself. And then you feel like, what the heck? There's nothing I can do about this, and you just cave in and do it. No, we need to learn how to say what? Come on now. What is written? Third, Satan will tempt you to test God and show off. Tempt you to test God and show off, just like Jesus. You know, throw yourself off of this high place. Angels will pick you up. Don't worry about it. Oh, you can go out and sleep with 50 people. No big deal. God will forgive you. 
Hello. Don't test God. Don't show off just because God has blessed you with a keen intellect or the ability to do certain things well. Amen? This is another weak area that the enemy wants to trip you up in, get you off your game, get you to compromise, get you to fall. And last but not least, Satan, Satan will promise you power and wealth. I mean, he'll, he'll promise you the moon. For real. He, you know, if you'll do this, if you'll do that, you know, look at all this you can have. And look at, you know, Christians don't even have any fun. And, you know, if you just do this, you can have all the fun in the world. And I'll, you know, I'll give you, you know, great fame and fortune and recognition and ambition, all that stuff. No. It's all a temptation from the enemy. Speaking of temptations, let's talk about three temptations that we all have to deal with. It's not in your notes today, okay? Three temptations that we all have to deal with today. It's found, the basis of this, this idea is found in 1 John 2.16. 1 John, you may want to write that down. 1 John 2.16. I don't think it's in your notes, is it? Okay. It says, for all, this world, for, for all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are three temptations to sin that every single human being will experience. All right? The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it's important to be aware of these, these three areas, um, because we'll all face them. We'll all have to deal with them, and, and it comes in various forms. Uh, for every sin, every single sin that you and I commit, it will be preceded by at least one of these temptations. What is the lust of the flesh? What does that look like? What does that mean when I say the lust of the flesh? Well, the lust of the flesh is that temptation to feel physical pleasure from, uh, from some sort of sinful activity. Let me say that again. To feel physical pleasure from some sinful activity. It's all about the flesh, okay? It's like, you know, just, just a crude example, just be simply, you know, I like pie, but to eat six of them at one sitting, how many of you know is the lust of the flesh, <laughs> Six pies, not six pieces, okay? Uh, to, to do something to make the flesh feel satisfied, okay? That's the lust of the flesh. It can, involve, it can involve any type of sinful activity to bring pleasure to the body, to the senses, your five physical senses. The Apostle Paul gave us a glimpse of what that looks like. Um, the works of the flesh or the lust of the flesh over in Galatians chapter 5, five verse 19. Now, let me read this to you. You may want to write that scripture down as well. 519 through verse 21. Now, the works of the flesh, okay, so he calls it out, are manifest. Which are these? Adultery. So that would be the lust of the flesh. If you were to commit adultery or have committed adultery, that was the lust of the flesh working in your life. Fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envies, 
murders, drunkenness. So if you've, you've gone out and gotten drunk, then that was the lust of the flesh or the work of the flesh and operation. The Bible calls it a sin. All right? Uh, revelings and such like of which of the which I tell you before, I, and I also told you in the past, that they do not, that they who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is, what is the lust of the eyes? Okay, so that's the lust of the flesh. What's the lust of the eyes? Let's look at this. The lust of the eyes is that temptation to look upon things we shouldn't look upon or to have things we know we shouldn't have. In other words, if we cast our eyes or we place our eyes upon something we desire for ple- or pleasure, even though God has told us not to look on it, that is the lust of the eyes. The sin um, is covering even, um, pro- the prime example is the result of the lust of eyes is coveting. That would be another one. Coveting would be the lust of the eyes. To covet means to, to have a strong desire to have something that rightfully belongs to someone else. Another example for the lust of the eye includes looking at sinful things like pornography, desiring material, possession, status, or appearance. It's the recognition that something sinful has visual appeal. Something sinful, it's the lust of the eye, okay? It has visual appeal. Remember this happened in the Old Testament when we were talking about King David and Bathsheba. The Bible says that, that in 2 Samuel that he saw, he was out on his roof and he saw a woman bathing. Typically you bathe with no clothes on. So he was looking at some woman naked, all right? And he saw that she was beautiful to look upon. So that would be the lust of the eyes. What is the pride, what is the pride of life? It's the third thing. Well, the pride of life is that sinful temptation for excess, greatness, or power that we all feel uh, that temptation to attain. Pride itself, one of the sins that God hates the most. It's one of the sins that God hates the most. It's the sin that Lucifer was tripped up with and turned into Satan. Did you know that? Some examples of the sin is desiring to get credit or glory for things that others did. Or desiring for others to worship or even hold us in excess esteem to make a name for ourselves, or desiring to feel valued uh, or more important than others around us, lifting yourself up and putting others down, or desiring to have positions of power over others in a way that puffs up my own ego for the sake of bragging rights, so to speak. Listen, consider the words of Satan himself, who was so filled with pride that He wanted to be God. He said in Isaiah, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the Most High. It's interesting as we look at these three temptations that Adam and Eve and Jesus had to deal with these same three temptations. Adam and Eve blew it and succumbed to them, but Jesus overcame them. Come on, somebody say amen. Yeah. Ha! Adam being the first, Jesus being the second, overcame the lust of the flesh. Um, Eve's temptation, check this out real quick. I know we're almost out of time. Eve's, Eve's temptation was in Genesis 3, and when the women, woman saw 
that the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eye, lust of the eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. She took the fruit. In other words, she fell. She blew it. She compromised. She caved in. She sinned. Jesus, on the other hand, Matthew 4, 3, we see that the tempter came and said, you know, turn these stones into bread, lust of the flesh. Said, you know, throw yourself down, the angels will pick you up, the pride of life. Verse 8, and said, uh, you know, I'll give you all this, you know, power and wealth. Um, if you'll bow down and worship me, the lust of the eye. So how do we overcome the devil? When the enemy comes and says things, we say it is written. And then we do what? We take authority over the enemy and we say what? Away from me. Get behind me, Satan. Take a walk. In Jesus' name, always use the name of Jesus. Did you hear me? Jesus is not just the way we end our prayer. In Jesus' name, it's not like, you know, the end of the prayer. It's the power behind the prayer. Did you hear me? So let me give you three just basic, simple things to do that I do. Some of you heard me say this before, but three things I do on a regular basis. First of all, first of all, I talk to God every day. This is not in your notes. I talk to God every day. Talk to him just like he is my friend and he's there. I talk to him in the car. I talk to him on, the, on a walk. I talk to him while I'm sitting in my recliner reading. I talk, I, I talk to him every day. Talk to God every day. Okay? Second, talk to yourself every day. The Bible tells us to talk to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Speak the word out of your mouth. Talk, talk to yourselves about what God says, what God thinks, how he feels about you. Amen? Talk to yourselves. Remind God, thank you that you love me. And, and Glenn, you are a child of the, of the king. You are blood-bought. You're an overcomer. Talk to yourselves. Every day. And third, talk to the devil. Learn, learn to talk to the devil when you're tempted. Learn to say, it is written. Talk to God. Talk to yourself. And listen, when the enemy comes and says, you fill in the blank. Whatever. Learn to talk to him. Amen? Learn to speak the word out of your mouth. Learn to arm yourself with the word. Learn to meditate upon the word. Learn to know your inheritance. Learn to know what God says about you. Tell the enemy where to go. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Come on. I don't even know this is powerful stuff. This will change your life when you understand this stuff, when you understand your position and your rights and who you are and your inheritance. It's not because we're this in our own self. It's because, because our righteousness is as filthy rags, but we are the righteousness of God in Christ. God doesn't make junk. Amen? He's deposited his spirit on the inside of you. 
You carry. Everywhere you go, you carry him. You're a carrier. <laughs> and you need to understand that. You need to know that God is there everywhere you go. And he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly far above that which we can ask, think, or imagine. Amen? Amen. We need to understand that God is with us. And if God be with us, if God be for us, who can be against us? Let's bow our heads. God, you're so amazing. You love us. You care about us. God, you want us to experience all that you have for us. We're your kids. We're your king's kids. <laughs> we are king's kids. <laughs> we have the ability to understand that we have been bought with a price, and we're thrilled at the very fact that we're yours. We hear you say today, this is my son or daughter. Hear the words of your father today. This is my son. This is my daughter. In whom I love. And with whom I am well pleased. Those are the words that you need to hear today. Not, who is this person anyhow? I don't even know who you are, let alone love you. I'm certainly not pleased with you. You're one of my problem kids. That's the voice of the enemy. God, listen, God wants to deposit on the inside of every single person under the sound of my voice today. Whether you're here in the auditorium or watching live stream, listen to me. God wants you to know your identity. He wants to under, you to understand your validity. And he wants you to know that you, he affirms you. He affirms you. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. God, God thank you for visiting us here today. Thanks for speaking to our hearts and reminding us who we are. God, I pray for every single person here in this room or that is watching by, by live stream. God, visit us right now. Rip away the lies of the enemy. The way he's tried to get us to buy into something that's simply not true about our lives. When he says these things to us, about us, around us, to bring pain and disappointment and hurt. God, help us to buy into the very fact of what you said, that we're your kids. We've been bought with a price. We are new creations in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Our Heavenly Father, the creator of the universe, the one who measured out this universe in the span of his hand, 
loves us and cares about us and affirms us. I pray for my friends here today, God. I pray that each one of us would have a revelation of that experience and that truth. God, when we leave this place today, we'll go home with that, the reality and the truth and the revelation of just how you began your ministry and who it was for. It was for us. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. God, we're so thankful for that. Can I pray for you today? Is if you're here and you say, you know, I've bought some lies of the enemy. I've been listening, I've been listening to the enemy in my life, and and I haven't been responding with it is written. I've I've just fallen into it, and I I know God's doing a work in me right now, and I need prayer. I need to change. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Let me see your hands. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you all over the place. Thank you for your honesty. God, you see those hands, they represent hearts, and I ask you to do a work in them. Those that are watching online right now, I see you out there in my heart. I know people are dealing with the same issue. And God, we just lift them up to you today, right now, those who are hurting, those who have allowed the enemy to come in and deceive them. All the various names of the enemy represent how he operates. Deceiver, murderer, the father of lies, tempter all those things. God, would you do a work right now in each of our hearts? Come and bring your healing touch and healing power in the name of Jesus. Now, can we just take a, a, a couple minutes here and just worship the Lord right where you're at? Just take a few minutes and just worship him. If, if you need to visit one of our stations, do that. Our pastoral team is here today, and if you want prayer, do that. Let's just close this out by worshiping our God, letting him know we love him.